Amen. Good morning. morning. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so fortunate today to be able to say that we have found through the experiences of life that you are more than enough. Uh, We are very blessed. We're very rich today to know that we have you through it all, all through that what life has to offer, all that comes our way that you want us to go through. We have you. We have your presence. And for that, Lord, we're very grateful. And we pray your blessing now as we open your word and that we will just be reminded again of the power of the word of God, the truth in it, and that we will seek to want to serve you in the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, just a few verses I've been reading over the book of Philippians for the last few months and felt exercised in this last section of Paul's letter, this wonderful little book, four chapters. Paul is concluding his his wonderful, what's preceded prior, and he finishes up with these little nuggets of truth that kind of summarize often of what he's been saying in a lot of his letters. But just picking up here in verse 9 of chapter 4, the things you have learned and received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have received your concern for me, or sorry, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Some time ago, there appeared a cartoon showing two fields divided by a fence, Both fields were about the same size and each had plenty of the same kind of grass. Green and lush. Kind of like how it looks right now. In each field there was a mule and each mule had his head through the fence eating grass from the other mule's pasture. All around each mule in his own field was plenty of grass, yet the grass in the other field seemed greener or fresher, although it was harder to get to. In the process, the mules were caught in the wires And they were unable to extricate themselves. And the cartoonist in this little clip put just one word at the bottom of the picture. Discontent. I want to speak this morning just for the 20 or 30 minutes we have together on the whole subject of the secret of living a life of contentment. And really, Jenny's song in many ways kind of already has kind of picked up on this theme. Because really, what more could we want? than the fact that we have the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we know, reality tells us, our sinful heart reveals to us that often we are anything but content. So I want to explore this from what the Apostle Paul talks about and learn what the secret is. I remember when we were in Ireland back in the um, 
80s and early 90s used to go to a sketchboard right on the corner of O'Connell Street and, and Liffey. And we would have a sketchboard and we would have a little microphone and a little podium and we would preach a message and paint it on the corner and sometimes see 20, 30, 40, 50 people there. And I remember one of the messages that seemed to get a lot of crowd attention was a message on the issue of, of satisfaction, how you spell life. And remember saying to folks, you know, there was a song, and most people would know it who were back in my age, the Rolling Stones. They sang a song, I can't get no satisfaction. People could relate to that. Matter of fact, he says in his lyrics, he says, I've tried, and I've tried, and I tried. You know the song. As long as I don't hear any of you start singing it, we're okay. Another group, an Irish group, sang a song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. There are many, aren't there? There might be someone here this morning who would be honest enough to say that they're not satisfied with their life. They're unhappy. Truth be told, they feel like the cards that they've been dealt is the wrong set. It's the wrong hand. They feel that they've been slighted, that they got the raw end. Short end of the stick. And there's a certain amount and a serious amount of dissatisfaction. If you were to ask them about it, they you know, would say, well, it might apply in, in a sense to my whole life in general. I'm dissatisfied. I'm discontent in general. You name it, you, that summarizes it. My life, discontent. Others would narrow in and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really discontent with the job I'm at right now. I really don't like my job. It's a struggle to go to work each day. Some certainly would say that they're very dissatisfied with their marriage, very discontent. Remember, we were doing some interviews recently at the police department. It was just kind of interesting that out of the ten people that we interviewed, the top ten, that nine out of the ten had been divorced. Just kind of an interesting thing, really, isn't it, what goes on in our culture. Some are very dissatisfied, disappointed with their kids. Some kids are very disappointed and dissatisfied with their parents, their home, where they live, the fact that they can't afford one, the fact they don't have a good enough car, they'd like more, they're discontent. When you think about this subject, really, you can trace it all the way back to the first incident in the Bible with Adam and Eve, can't you? It goes all the way back because God said, you know what, you can have all of this. There's just this one tree that I don't want you to eat from. And somehow in it all, the devil came and disguised himself and basically started to throw out this idea that, you know what, God is withholding something from you. God in his goodness is withholding. He's really not being all that good by not letting you have that. And therefore, the seeds of sowing discontent started in Eve. And she felt there was something else that she needed. Discontent occurs when we forget that we belong to him and he's the master. There's a thing that pretty much says in our culture today that it is my right. My expectations are such. And many have expectations that says that this is what I should be getting in life. This is what I should be receiving. And it's way up here because inherently people think that it's their right. And even Christians, we can fall into the trap of thinking that God owes us. 
in the sense that we don't think of the fact that the Christian life is a life of grace. That God in all of his goodness, think of everything that he's done for us. Think of how he's given us his son. I was listening to a song this weekend of how he has spilled his blood. He's dropped his blood was shed for us. And yet there's something in us that still wants more, expects more and more and more. And we forget. We think about the fact of how good he's been to us over the last 24 hours. And yet the devil sometimes sows those seeds of, well, I just want to be discontent about this. I'm really not happy about this. When you look in the Old Testament and you see the Israelites and you say, wow, that's a group of people that I would never want to have on a tour guide. I would never want to have them on my itinerary and be a travel agent, Joan. They're not a group you want. (laughs) Grumbling, moaning, discontent with what God did. And if we look at ourselves in the mirror, we might say, you know what? We're kind of like that. I'm kind of like that. I'm not all that different sometimes than how the Israelites were in the wilderness. Are you a satisfied, contented individual today? Are you? If you were to think about that, take it, do a check. You know how like you check your blood pressure, you know, you check your pulse. You check your vision. Just do a spiritual checkup right now. Where you're sitting this morning, are you content in Christ? Do you have the peace of God in each and every situation that you've been through? The good, the bad, and the ugly. Do you know the peace of God. When I read these passages, these verses in Philippians 4, there's some encouraging stuff here from Paul because there's two times he says this. He uses the word learned. This is something that the Apostle Paul learned. He learned the secret. He learned what it meant to be content. It wasn't something that he just, just, he just got and he got it and that was that. It was a process. He learned it. The Lord taught him it. And the Lord wants to teach us that too. So we're going to ask you this morning for the little bit of time we have. We're going to enroll in Contentment 101. And we want to figure out how to, how to be content. And there's a couple of clues that come from this passage. And the first thing is, is when I saw it, is, is that when you think about the whole subject of possessions, possessions do not make who you are. They don't make who I am. They don't define us. Amen. Someone has said, and it's very wise, it's very simple, but it's one of those things we, just, we can just miss, and it's this. What we have is not who we are. Isn't it true, and maybe this was the path you were on, maybe this was the trap you'd fallen in, that your self-worth, how you saw yourself, was defined by what you have, by your possessions. Financial articles will tell us, and you've probably read them, and tell you what their net worth is. Maybe somebody has asked you that question. What's your net worth? I asked my daughter that today. She didn't know how to answer it. I said, I'll tell you one thing. Your net worth is not very much right now. College student. People think that their net worth is important. That may be true in some way financially, in some aspect, of just being able to say what your worth is with all your assets that God ultimately is the one who's given them to you and he's the owner of them or just managers of it but it has nothing to do with how who you are spiritually your possessions Jesus said in Luke 12:15 watch out and when the lord says this that means we have got to pay attention to it and he says watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his what possessions 
It's not what makes up a man or a woman. Money is a universal passport, it's been said, to everywhere except heaven. And a certain provider for everything except happiness. That famous uh, rich fellow, J. Paul Getty, one of the richest men in the world, was asked what single thing he would change if he had the power to do so. And he replied, I'd change philosophy. People should be, he said, more content. He said, the way to cure discontent is not to get more. The old cliche about money not buying happiness is certainly true. That came from him. God wants us, and he talks about this, and Paul addresses the subject of contentment because it's really important, isn't it, that we start to grow in this area. Because if we are, then the temptation for loving money, which is the sin, not money itself, but loving money and wanting to be greedy is going to be less of a temptation. If you're the type of individual, like Paul says, he learned that in times of plenty and in times of want, In any circumstance he found himself in, he learned to be content in that. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. John the Baptist said in Luke chapter 3 verse 14, be content with your pay. And that's an interesting thing, isn't it, when you think about the market that we're in, because we need to be led by God's Spirit, don't we? If we're in a situation where, for example, in our workplace, it's a situation where we should promote, or we should go forward where there's more money, or we should change jobs where it might mean more money. It may not necessarily be in the Spirit to do that. It might be something in our flesh that says, this is what I need to do in order to get more money. Got to really do a check on that. The world tells us that's the natural thing to do, even if it means sacrificing a lot of priority and important things. But that's a mistake. Jesus, or Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. And you know what? He says, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. This is the word of God speaking. Are we this morning content with that? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, in that wonderful section, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, where he's talking and he says, you know what? I take care of the the birds of the air. I take care of the sparrow. The most important thing for you is I'm going to provide for you, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says, basically, you know, the problem with the unsaved, he says, they're going around, running around like there's no master. There's no one in control. There's no one who loves them, who's taking care of them. You as a believer today in Christ, you have a master who's taking care of you, who's providing for you. We don't have to go around fretting. It's been said that contentment is not found in having everything, but in being satisfied with everything you have. You and I today are incredibly rich. I think of that verse in Scripture where it says, you know, for our sake, he became became poor so that we might become rich. If you know the Lord Jesus today, we cannot measure the wealth, the richness that we have in Him. Co-heirs with Christ. The very fact that His presence is with us at all times. The fact that you are never going to have to suffer in eternal hell 
consequence for your sin? Do you have an assurance of salvation? You have what the greedy or discontented person who doesn't know Christ has always been looking for but still hasn't found, like I said earlier in that song. For you and I today, our contentment, our satisfaction, and our security is locked up, locked in, in our all-sufficient Savior. And in that sense, brothers and sisters, we ought to leave here with a skip in our step. We ought to, in in whatever the right way is, we ought to be dancing out of here with joy for the fact of who we know and who knows us. And yet I confess that we sometimes get into the mindset of what the world says and the devil just starts saying, wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you want that? Don't you want that? And you look around you and you look in your neighborhood. What's important for us, isn't it, is to stop in all the madness and just remember what is really, really important in life. What really the priorities are. And it's not about running around trying to get more possessions. You ever been into one of those kind of homes? I hope it's not one of yours. Where you go into the garage and you can hardly move because there's just so many possessions. There's just so much stuff. I remember my dear mother-in-law, when we went in there, and Andrew remembers when we went in there a couple years ago, we would, after she passed away, we literally, we literally could not walk maybe more than this about this far before we were into all this stuff. And you kind of had to tiptoe over this. And the bed was here, but there was stuff about stacked that high all over the bed where you couldn't even see the bed. Just a purchase of possessions. Multiple, multiple uh, possessions of many of the same things. 15, 20 bottles of detergent. More Costco (laughs) paper towel than I can even remember that I've ever seen. For you and I to remember today that nothing that we have, nothing that we have on this earth as far as our possessions is permanent. So I trust this morning that you and I are content in the fact that if you have food and you have clothing, like I think I've said before last time I was here, you and I have a lot more than a lot of people in the world have today. We really do. We really do. Am I confusing my needs with my wants? There is a difference. What are the needs versus what are the wants? And there's a cemetery in England stands this grave marker with this inscription. She died for want of things. And alongside that sign is another, which read, he died trying to give them to her. (laughs) I don't know if you ever heard that. I work probably, um, I probably work about 40 hours of overtime a month. Um, Thankfully, a 312 allows for some of that. But I'll be honest with you, and I can, God is my witness. I'm not working the overtime in order to get more possessions, in order that I can buy that boat that I've always been wanting. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with the boat if God's called you to have a boat. It, whatever he's called you, and it's of him, I can't be your judge. But for me, it's to help pay for college. It's to help me get my kids to school, and I'm fortunate for that. But I'm afraid there's probably some situations where we're just trying to provide for what? You've got to stop and say, Why? Why am I doing all this? What am I purchasing? Why am I buying it? Wonderful verse down in verse 19 of the same chapter, isn't there? I'm sure you guys in your memory class have already memorized this one. And my God shall supply all your needs. Didn't say wants. 
all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, I think what Paul saw and what he was telling us in those first few verses in chapter 4 is that your possessions do not make who you are. There's something else that's very important for us to, in order to be content is the next principle that he talks of. Circumstances should not control us. Your circumstances and my circumstances are like the crazy weather the last couple of weeks. Changing. I think it was in February. Last month it was 70 degrees. I don't know about how your flowers are doing in your garden, but stuff was coming out and it was way too early, we knew. And now look, last couple of days. Your circumstances are always changing. That's how it is in life, isn't it? Next time I come here and speak, Lord willing, the day after we're back from Hawaii, which I'm looking forward to for our 25th anniversary in April, when we, I come back, circumstances are going to have changed for me, Lord willing, and they're going to have changed for you. Someone has said in Ireland, change is here to stay. It's just the way it is. And isn't it true that circumstances do control many? Maybe they control you sometimes. Basically, the barometer of how you're doing is based on how your circumstances are going. If things are going great, then you're great. If things are going lousy, then you're lousy. And God help us if we're around you in those circumstances when things are going bad. <laughs> you know those kind of people when you're at your job or at your workplace or maybe they live in your home? And when all of a sudden you look at them and you kind of just kind of can tell in the first 10 seconds how it's going based on what's, how they walk, how they don't speak, how they do speak. It's like, whoa. It can make life really tough for those of us who have to be around people like that. I hope you're not. Some of those emotions kind of just remind me of the stock market, don't they? There's up and down, up and down. Verses 11, 12. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled, going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. This is amazing. When you read this, I don't know if you're like me, but you're just like, what was your secret? What was your secret, Paul? Because this is what I want to know. And we should want to know. If somebody came up to you and go, I got a secret. I've learned the secret of something. We're pretty, something's wrong with us if we just go, yeah, and we just kind of walk away. We say, what is it? I don't know. Unfortunately, sometimes when it comes into that realm of gossip, we're all too really wanted to hear. Did you hear about what? What? What'd they say? Did you hear about something? I don't know what. What's the secret? Is it because that Paul saw more than just the outward circumstance? Is it that he saw more than just the outward moment of what was occurring in the present? Did he see through it? Did he see through the circumstance? I believe he did. He knew, and you can tell this from all of his writings and the epistles, he knew that he had a God that was in control. He knew, as Jenny was saying today, that he had a God that he could trust. And you and I are in that same situation today. He knew that God was working in the midst of the most difficult situations that he found himself in. Think about your circumstances that you're in today. The good and the bad. God is in every 
are at work in every situation. Do you believe that? At my place of work right now, there's a lot of officers that are, are leaving, about uh, 15 or so, and we've lost a few recently, who are going on to other places. And it's interesting, really, when you start to analyze, why are, why are people leaving? Why are people wanting to go somewhere else? Matter of fact, for dispatchers, I've been doing a salary survey in comparison for dispatchers in work at Hayward PD to the rest of Alameda County and some of the other comparative cities that we compare ourselves to for fire and police. And I see that Hayward dispatchers are down about at the bottom. We took a hiring freeze and we're about at the lowest. Santa Rosa, for example, has a $10,000 hiring bonus if you apply there. We don't do that. Training pay is 7%. Ours is 2.5%. After a certain amount of overtime you work in a month, they then give you $10 an additional, um, $10 an hour in addition to your time and a half of overtime that you're getting. And I'm looking at that. And I'm reading Santa Rosa's thing. And you start to see and you start to say, you know what, what can creep in is you start getting a little discontent. Well, we're not, why aren't we like the rest? Well, what's wrong with that? And there's this fine line of justice and wanting to be in the right uh, realm of where everyone else is. Maybe the top three, or should it be the top two, top seven of the other 12 agencies? I found myself when I was doing all this homework that the danger is you start getting a little bit discontent about it. Start to grumble. Start kind of murmur a little bit. Think of circumstances that some people are in when maybe they don't like their job. Maybe in this group of people here today, there's one person here that just really doesn't like their job. Matter of fact, a large percentage of people are in that same camp in the world. They don't like what they do. Maybe it's because it's a boring job. Maybe it's because they have a boss they just don't particularly care for. Maybe they have difficult co-workers. I mean, there's a number of reasons, but it usually is in those three areas why people don't like what they do. I remember hearing someone say once, what do you do in that situation? You're a Christian. What do you do? Someone gave this advice. They said, change employers. He said, I can't do that every time that happens. He said, no, I didn't say change jobs. I said, change employers. Make the Lord Jesus the one you're working for and you're serving. That's a radical thing. He said to the Colossians, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. It's an amazing thing if you change that. If you're one of those folks today, you go in this week and you realize, you know, you know, I no longer work for John. I no longer work for Sue. I no longer work for this person. I have a new boss that I'm working for and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. That'll change your whole attitude. And rather than being this employee who's there sort of grumbling and kind of falling in with the rest of the pack who are being critical of this, that, or the other, you're the one that now is going to have a light, a different kind of a testimony as a Christian because you know what? You've got this wonderful boss and he's fair and his wages are wonderful and his benefits are great and he'll do everything for you that no other earthly boss could ever do. You say, well, I want to work for recognition and reward. And I would say rightly so. Work for his recognition. Work for his reward. That's going to be for you in heaven. And you know what? That earthly reward, I'm not saying it's not important. It doesn't have its place. But it's less. It's less. It's secondary. It's secondary to him. 
I don't know if you're familiar with that song, that God can make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to His side with love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. He will make a way. This is the thing we have, the comfort we have as believers. God will make that way. He'll pave it. Do you ever ask yourself in circumstances that you're going through, and I know a number of you do, but you ever ask yourself, is it one of the first things that kind of comes out of your mind and maybe off your lips is to say, what, what Lord, are you trying to teach me in this circumstance right now? Amen. And if you don't know, bring it to the Lord in prayer. Remember, I don't know if you've heard this story before when there's a real serious problem in a church and the leaders were talking. I've heard it a couple of different ways, but they were talking and they were kind of throwing all their earthly wisdom on the whole situation. And somebody finally said it toward the end of the whole conversation, well, maybe we should pray about it. And the, person, the other person said, has it come to that? You know, has it come to that that we should pray about it? And you know, that's sometimes how we are, isn't it? It's the last thing. It should be the first thing. God, give me wisdom to see here what you're doing. On Friday night, I had a, had a, lot, a real crazy week. And I was still working on this message. And I came home and I saw water on the laundry floor. And I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. So I got a towel and just wiped it up and went back an hour later. And there was more water on the floor. And I started to scratch my head a little bit, you know. I thought, hmm, maybe it's coming from the, dish, the washing machine. And it wasn't from the washing machine. And then I said, it's the water heater. And I opened up and sure enough, the water heater's dripping. Is it going to have 40 gallons all of a sudden in my linoleum floor? Is it going to be a drip, drip, drip? But we had to go to a soccer tournament this last weekend. Just got back this morning from Modesto for my daughter. I said, well, Lord, you know, you do have a sense of humor. What am I going to do now on this? I can get all stressed out. But I have a message to speak on, on being content and being able to handle, being able to handle circumstances. And she's there to watch. She's here this morning. How is he going to behave? So rather than leaving at 5.30, we left at 10.30 that night. But the Lord provided a believer who's coming over tomorrow to fix it. We were away for the weekend, so it didn't matter that we didn't have any hot water. So the Lord was good in that. Could have happened at another time. What is God teaching you in those circumstances that you're in? Are you grateful? that you, Do you find yourself offering up praise that the Lord is in control? That he's going to work in and through it. So many things are out of our control. But how we respond is in our control. How do you respond? Don't you think of that wonderful example of Joseph? How in the Bible, how he was unfairly treated by his brothers and they sold him into slavery and he was in prison for two years. I mean, basically, the guy got a super raw deal by the brothers. I mean, he was just telling them what, what God revealed to him. And yet the brothers treated him with all that contempt. And yet, in the way he behaved and so forth, he got that opportunity to reveal what Pharaoh's dream was. And then he was eventually promoted to second in command. I've got to think that God worked through Joseph partly due to the way Joseph was behaving and handling himself in it all. If Joseph had been having a pity party, had been you know, singing the blues, had been bitter, and just whatever, behaving about the circumstance that he got in, you know, my brothers, you know, and telling every person that he could, of how unfairly he was treated by them. I wonder if Joseph would have closed himself from any opportunity of where God could work further and work in this man's life like he did. I remember when we were driving, Rebecca and I were driving in the car, my oldest daughter, who's uh, not here this morning, she, I got to drive her car, which I'm a little careful of doing because I don't want to have something happen when I'm behind the wheel. 
And uh, we're listening to a Christian song. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And one of the lines is, you give and take away. Maybe you've heard it before. I remember that song was on. And, all, and I'm looking, and all of a sudden I'm looking at the sunroof, and I'm driving down Center Street in Castle Valley, and, and, you know, you give and take away, and then, boom, a guy backs into us. I didn't even see it. He reversed out. All of a sudden, just the next thing I know, we're kind of turning, and we're pulling up, and there's steam coming out of the car, and I'm just like, what happened? You know, I said, was that my fault? You know, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully it wasn't, and we weren't hurt, but $5,000 damage just like that, car out of service. And that song was on, and she remembers it. You give, and you take away. And so whenever I hear that song now, I think of that. And I think of how God provided, though. We were safe. This last couple of days, we were down in Modesto, as I said, and we, there was a crash yesterday morning right outside our uh, motel that we were in. And just like that, an AMR uh, unit, uh, one of the ambulances running on a Code 3 run, um, ran into, or it was a real serious accident to another car and that car slammed into a tree uprooted the tree the two ambulance drivers were unconscious when I went up to them she was bleeding last yes last night when we were going out to dinner we saw a car into a tree that looked like a fatal um, you realize that a lot of stuff is going on you realize how fortunate you are and God in his goodness is protecting you and you're here and you're receiving uh, the goodness of God in the word this morning and being with his people Do you sing the blues? Do you have that pity party? Or do you find yourself trusting God? Paul said, you know what? I, I've learned this. I've learned this. The choice is ours this morning as well. There's a book out and, uh, that's called Don't Waste Your Sorrows. And really the whole idea about the book is how God uses those times of difficulty in our lives to do some of his greatest work. And the idea is, is don't waste your sorrows by missing what God wants to do in and through you. How he wants you to be a blessing even to those who are in that situation. Rather than missing it because you're having that pity party that nobody really wants to come to. And as a matter of fact, some people have said, you know what? And I, and I know there's people that would say this today. As painful as those circumstances were that they've been in and through in their lives, they wouldn't take them back if they could because of what benefits they have received in drawing in closer intimacy with God. Growing in areas and character more like the Lord Jesus Christ that they wouldn't have if they hadn't been placed into that situation. So lastly, in concluding, you say, well, you know what? I, I, I think I got the secret. That God is in control but and, and he's going to provide and I've got to see through the circumstance and see what he wants to do. But really, I think the secret is verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this is an interesting verse, isn't it? Because sometimes you take this verse, and I've heard it said, you know, like you're, you're trying to lift 400 pounds of weights, and you just say, you know, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, maybe there's some application in a broad way that it applies there, but it's not really in the context of the verse. It's true that if God calls you to do something, and we need to know what that is, he's going to give you the strength to do it. But it's a little bit foolish to say, you know, whatever it is, if you don't have direction and guidance from God, I can do all things through Christ. Some people put the emphasis on that first part mistakenly. I can do all. But the key is through him who gives me strength. Paul's saying, you know what? 
I have learned the secret of learning how to be content in every situation with whether I've had the possessions or I have not. I've had the circumstances or I have not that I would have wanted or not wished for. He says the secret has been is I've been able to do that through him. He's the one who's changed my mind. He's the one that's been working in me to see this so that I can accomplish these things. He's the one that makes the difference as to how you behave when the chips are down, when people who don't know Christ would say, how do you behave like this? How do you have this attitude? How do you still like the, in prison when they were singing in Acts? How are you singing when you're in prison? It's because they know the power of Christ. Their focus is on him. It's not on the circumstance. Paul learned the secret. The secret was you focus on Christ. You focus on his purposes. You focus on what he's doing behind the scenes. And you trust him every step of the way. Moment by moment, as we sung this morning. Moment by moment, you trust him. You keep your eyes on him. Paul says this, I, have, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Praise God this morning that we have a God who we can turn to. I pray that if you're one of those, like I'm growing in, I am learning like the Apostle Paul was, how to handle circumstances in life so that I'm a contented Christian, one that's not going around with a frown or inside struggling, being discontent, grumbling, but trusting the Lord. I pray that God will work through what we've heard this morning to accomplish that work in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we want to acknowledge today that you are the key. You're the key, Lord, for everything for us in this life. Lord, we acknowledge today that you're the key to our contentment. You're the key to our true peace. You're the key to us being able to weather the storms that come our way. Father, I pray that you'll help us just to grow in this, to be a light to be a shining light for you, Lord, in a world that that knows not this type of contentment. We pray that we'll be children who are grateful, who are appreciative, who are thankful of everything you've done, and especially, what more could you have given us? You've given us your Son. You've given us salvation. You've given us forgiveness of sins. I pray you'll help us, keep us from falling into the temptation of wanting to be lovers of money, lovers of greed, dissatisfied, looking to the market, looking to the CDs, looking to financial planners to be the ones who are going to provide for our future. Pray that we'll be ones who will trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.